Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Good morning to each of you. Welcome to the class. We're going to be studying Nehemiah chapter 13, the first 14 verses. Now, when I teach a class, I don't like to move around to various books, but we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 6. We did this last week, but I'm going to do it again for emphasis. And then we'll be going to Ezra and various places, but... uh, You won't have to turn to all of those, but I hope you have your Bible. I do not have PowerPoint. This was too complex. So we're going to start in just a minute in Isaiah chapter 6. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us online. Thank you for your study of the book of Nehemiah, a great, great book. You know, the Bible is set out in a very funny way as far as the way it's presented. The book of Nehemiah is the 16th book of the Old Testament. The 39th book is Malachi, and they were written at the same time, not chronological at all. And that's confusing. Brother Glenn teaches a class here on Sunday night, kids sing, he calls it, a lot of good things, the books of the Bible. He used to tell a lot of stories, still does refer to them. That's what children need to know. I love it. That's what we need to know. We learned it a long time ago, but we didn't put it all together. And your thing as an adult is to get all this together and see how it links. And I'm trying to help you do that with this one book of Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah were short-time co-workers. Ezra was a priest. Nehemiah was not. Nehemiah was a cupbearer for Artaxerxes I king of Persia. He is what modern people would call a layman. He had no credentials as far as the word of God's concerned. He was just a dedicated man of God. But men like Nehemiah are very important. Look around in this church. You see elders, deacons, teachers, preachers. They're important. But those who are not are important too. There are great things being done here by people who are not elders. Not deacons, not preachers, not teachers. They have other talents. And I thank God for them. Ezra led the second wave of Jews from uh, Persia over to Jerusalem in the year 457 B.C. That's 79 years after Zerubbabel had led the first wave out to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. That was in 536 B.C. when he led those out. Then at 516 B.C., he finished the work 20 years later. That's six six decades before Ezra went back to Jerusalem to start the divine economy of the Jews. To activate the stump that contained the Holy Seed. The Lord spoke of that in Isaiah 6 which we're going to read in just a minute. 
Isaiah got excited when he was brought into the throne room and saw the great things happening there. And he said, the voice came, whom shall I send? And Isaiah said, Lord, send me. But what he didn't know is God did not want him to preach repentance because he did not want his people to repent. Now we have trouble with that. I've heard teachers and preachers try to explain that away. Don't try to explain it away. Just take the Bible for what it says. God said, Isaiah, do not lead them out of their ignorance. Keep them in their ignorance. I'm paraphrasing, of course. But that's what you are to do as my servant, my spokesman, my preacher. This is so contradictory in our minds as to how God works. Listen to what he said, Isaiah 6 beginning at verse 11. Then I said, Isaiah said, Lord, how long? How long are you going to keep these people in ignorance? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. Nebuchadnezzar took care of that. 586 BC, when he destroyed Jerusalem and its temple and the walls. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away into Babylon, by the way. That's where the Jews went. Most of them were taken there. Forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and yet a tenth will be in it. Not everyone is going to be captured by that land. Some will stay there and some will be added. They'll return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or an oak whose stump remains which is when it is cut down, so the holy seed shall be its stump. You know what the book of Ezra and Nehemiah are about? The stump. If you don't understand the stump, you can't understand Ezra and Nehemiah. The stump was what was going to restart God's work for his holy seed. He promised that the seed of woman would bless the world. Genesis chapter 315. He promised Abraham that his seed would bless the world. He promised that to Isaac and Jacob. And yet the word seed there is singular, but the means of that seed seemingly were destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Not so. Life would remain. And I like to call it an incubator. The incubator for God's seed remained. And here it's known as the stump. When Zerubbabel announced that he was going back to Jerusalem, that's in uh, 536 B.C., You would think that all the Jews would say, we want to go with you. No, you wouldn't think that. Because they had been there 50 years, the old men who were 60, 70 years old. They probably said, well, this is my home. I've been here 50 years. Why should I go back? We love Jerusalem, but, you know, it's a long way. A lot of work there. The young people had never been to Jerusalem. They didn't know anything about it except what their parents, grandparents had told them. So most people did not go back to help rebuild the temple. Their home was in Persia, Babylon, which had become Persia, by the way. 
They wanted to stay there in that area around the city of Babylon. That's where they lived. That's where their jobs were. That's where their houses were. That's where their synagogues were. We love Jerusalem. Yes, we pray toward Jerusalem, but it's a tough place. We'll stay here. But some did return with Zerubbabel, and you know, they finally rebuilt the temple. Now, 12 years after Ezra led the second wave to Jerusalem, and that was incidentally in 457 B.C., Nehemiah and a cupbearer from King Artaxerxes appeared before the king with a very sad face, Isaiah chapter 2, Nehemiah chapter 2. 140 years earlier, the temple had been destroyed. Walls of Jerusalem burnt. The walls had not been rebuilt as far as we know. Even though God's word does not tell us, in Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2, Nehemiah grieved because he knew Ezra was there. The walls were down. Ezra had the authority to cleanse the temple and restart worship there, but he could not because Nehemiah heard that the temple could not be cleansed. It was it was being taken over by the local people who were not Jews. He was greatly disturbed, so he decided that he would do something about it. Ezra could not do his work. Artaxerxes gave Nehemiah leave to go for a long time to build the walls, to be governor of that area for the Persian king, and to get the job done. Now, let, we're ready for Nehemiah chapter 13. We're going to take it slow and easy here. There's a lot of material here, but you, you need to hear it. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and was found that no Ammonite or no Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God, because they had not met the children of Israel with the bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. I'm going to stop right here and talk a long time. First of all, they read from the book of Moses. See, you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, book of Moses, Joshua. No, it doesn't go there, does it? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What is the book of Moses? Moses wrote the first five books. Obviously, though, he is talking about Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a book that records the preaching, the sermons of Moses when he was 120 years old. He's about to die. He is very near the promised land, but you know, God changed the lock on the door to the promised land and said, Moses, you're not going to get in there. Your key doesn't fit anymore. And Moses begged and begged and begged and God said, no, no way, you're not going in. But Moses didn't give up on God. He preached to a new generation of people. The old generation had knew the law, had heard the law. They were at Mount Sinai. But they couldn't go in because they failed to do what God told them to, to take the land when they could. He was going to give it to them. The 12 spies came back and they said, oh, what great, great crops they grow there. Ten of them, you know the story, says, but we can't take it because there are giants in the land and we are as grasshoppers in their sight. And that terrified 
the more than 2 million people there, and they said, we can't take it. Joshua and Caleb were saying, we can. God, God's going to help us. God promised it to us. He gave it to us. Let's go ahead and take it. We cannot. It's a pity that those people, when the locals accused them of being grasshoppers, it's a pity they couldn't say, no, we're lions and tigers. You're the grasshopper. Our commander is far, far greater than yours. But they didn't do that. So here's Moses, 40 years later, and he's preaching to a generation of people that have come from those who are now dead. He preaches that in the book of Deuteronomy. Look at that word. It's not a Hebrew word. Deuter means second or two. Nomos is law. This is the second law, literally, not literally the second law, but literally means the second law. It's the second presentation of the law, the second revelation of the law. It's the same law given to a new group of people. It's the second time. That's the reason it's called Deuteronomy. And as he was preaching in the hearing of the people, it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God. Because he gives the reason there. They hired Balaam to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into Balaam, into a blessing. I want to stop and talk about Balaam just a minute. You know the story. He's the one whose donkey talked to him. And we have a lot of people make fun of that. I, how do you feel about that, James? I feel like his donkey talked to him. I also feel like Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights also feel like Jesus rose from the dead and that puts me in a small small class of people because everybody knows all three of these things are impossible with men Balaam goes and blesses the people treading on Balak's territory. He does that over and over again. Balak says, try here, try this sacrifice, try this high place, try this. And he kept on trying this. And it looked like, and, and we miss this, this is the reason I'm bringing it out. It looks like Balaam has won. Even though he is killed in battle, he has won. But God, God turned the curse that Balak wanted into a blessing. Because Balaam kept blessing the people. But if you go on down to the end of the book of Numbers, where this is taking place, and you don't have to go there, but I'm in 25, verse chapter 25, if you want to, it says that 24,000 people died in a plague after being joined to Baal Peor. That's God's people. After Balaam was killed, there was a battle. And God took the lives of 24,000 of his people, not in battle, not in that battle, but he took the lives of 24,000. Why did he do that? Because they joined themselves to Baal Peor. Baal was a God that had many different categories and this particular Baal they joined themselves to had a different category. Baal Peor, that was the top of one of the mountains. And if I were to read that to you in Hebrew, 
you probably would be embarrassed because the Baals were gods of fertility, sexual desire, but this probably took it a step farther than that. Would not describe to a mixed audience what could be the ultimate meaning of this because it's too embarrassing, not for me, but for you. What a shame. You know how many people died at Mount Sinai? The worship of the golden calf, which was terrible, 3,000. You know how many died here? 24,000. Over in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul said, Neither let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 died. We wonder about that great number because we equate that with Mount Sinai, but this was not Mount Sinai. This was Baal Peor. What a shame. God never loses. God always wins. God is not the God of grasshoppers. He's the God of men who love and appreciate him. But back up here in uh, verse uh, 2, perhaps, was found that no Ammonite or Moabite would ever come into the assembly of God. We have grown accustomed to the fact that we know what we believe and we're going to do what we believe. Glenn Colley made a profound statement today. I've already told him. I've never heard anybody say what he said. The deeper a person becomes involved in sin, the less he knows about it. That's just as plain as the nose on your face. But we don't hear it said. And I've already thanked Glenn personally for saying that. These people learned that the Ammonites and Moabites were not to be in God's house, not to be associated with God's people. Today, when people learn things from the Bible, they often say, ah, that's just an ancient book that has no relation to me. And when it comes to sexual immorality, the Bible tells us to love all people, and I do that. And the problem is, a person saying that normally does it with a clear conscience. How sad. But these people here were different. They saw that and they saw there was a real problem in their lives. Years ago, I was teaching a Bible study with a young couple in Argentina. Now, we'll forget this. They were 30, early 30s, husband and wife. They were sitting across the table from me. When I teach a private Bible study, I don't teach anything. I ask questions, and I was asking questions. They were answering and reading from Scripture and answering. And during the course of our study, the man began to weep, tears rolling down his cheeks. He turned to his wife and said, Honey, we're not even Christians. I didn't tell him that. I never tell anybody they're not a Christian. The Bible told him that. And she started to weep. And I thought, these people have never studied the Bible. They have a great respect for it, never really studied it. 
back in my hometown, Huntsville, Alabama, it may be that we can have the same kind of class and, oh, well, my preacher said so-and-so, don't worry about it. I know what this says. I know what my preacher said. This is all right because he said it was all right. How sad. The idea of let us speak where the Bible speaks, be silent where it's silent is very powerful in some communities. But whether or not it's powerful in your community, we need to use it. It's a truth. And there may be someone there who says, okay, so my preacher says this is not in the Bible. I think I'll follow the Bible. God bless you. I've already given the illustration of what happened in Cane Ridge, Kentucky, Bush Run, Virginia, back in the early 1900s when these people were saying, wait a minute here. We have not followed the Bible. We now see what the Bible says. These were scholars. One of them was a Greek scholar who could speak the Greek language. And he said, I haven't even been baptized. What a story. He had been sprinkled as a baby. Always accepted that as baptism. And he said, that's not what the Bible says. And I've agreed to speak where the Bible speaks, remain silent where the Bible is silent. Now, back in Deuteronomy 23, 3, this is evidently what Moses had said. And Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generations. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Oh, but they're our friends. Don't worry about it. Uh-uh. That's not what they said. Incidentally, you know who the Moabites and Ammonites were? Of course you do. Lot and his two daughters ran out of uh, the great city that was about to be destroyed went into a cave and these girls said only three of us left only three people left on earth our husbands or boyfriends are not here only daddy can perpetuate our seed or his seed we can perpetuate his seed I should say and they caused him to be drunk and they committed fornication with him. And Moab was born to one of them. Word Moab means what is your father or water of the father. We don't know exactly what that means, but the wife was an incubator or the, the female was the incubator. So the incubator took his water and made a baby out of it. Ammon means people, kinsmen. And can be mean, can mean in family, close friends, Moab and Ammon. Sad story. They were Lot's sons and grandsons. And they were Lot's daughters, brothers, and sons. It's quite confusing, isn't it? Whatever. They didn't treat God's people right, and they shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Back in uh, early in Nehemiah, many in Judah were pledged to him. Tobiah the Ammonite. The word pledge, he was their owner. He was their husband in a sense. He was their, he was their Lord, the superior one. 
Many of them in Judah, part of that stump, were pledged to Tobiah the Ammonite. Had a legal obligation to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, who was a great man in Judah. The son of Aaron, the son of Johanahan, who had married the daughter of Meshulam, the daughter of Berechiah. All of those were, were outstanding Jewish citizens. They worked on the wall. And Tobiah was involved by marriage to them. Whoa. Remember back in second chapter of Nehemiah when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite heard that somebody had come to take the uh, side of the Jews. They were greatly disturbed that a man had come to take their wealth, seek their welfare. Why? Because they were profiting for the Jewish from the Jewish people that were there at that time. And they were continually desecrating the temple. I want to read a passage back in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 2. We'll talk about this more next week. And, uh, but I just want you to hear what is Ezra, Ezra chapter 10, verse 2. I want you to hear this for today as we prepare for next week. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, spoke up and said to Ezra, we have trans, transpassed our, trespassed our God, have taken pagan wives from the peoples of the land, yet there is hope in Israel in spite of this. What are you saying, Shechaniah? I'm saying we're going to correct that. I'm not going to dance around over that. I'm going to have to deal with it exactly as it's in the text. Will I enjoy that? Absolutely not. I just don't have any choice. Nehemiah chapter chapter 13, verse 3. So it was... When they heard the law, we're back in our main text now, that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. Now before this, Elisha, the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. The high priest of the stump was allied with Tobiah, who was an Ammonite. I'm going to take time here to explain something to you that's very boring. So just stay with me. He had prepared for, a, for him a large room where previously they had stored the grain offerings, the, uh, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new oil and wine, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and singers and gatekeepers and the offerings of, for the priests. I want to set up the temple here. <clears throat> It had been restored. I didn't know it had been rebuilt. It was desecrated, but I'm going to still set it up. And I have to set it up kind of like it was in the days of Jesus. And there it might have been some changes, but this is generally how it was. The temple faced toward the east, and my back is to the east now, so you're facing toward the east. That's the front of the temple. When you entered the temple, you entered through by Solomon's porch and came in the gate beautiful 
and you're standing in a huge room. It doesn't have any covering over the top, but it's a huge room. 200 feet by 200 feet, that's an acre for you who are not farmers. That's known as the court of women. The reason it was the court of women is that's how far the women could go. Everybody could meet in there. Jesus used the court of women to teach. It was in the court of women that he called his disciples to him and said, I want you to look at this. This widow has cast in all she had because they had the trumpet looking devices there to put your givings in and then people were passing by and putting them in and she gave more than the rich men that was in the temple and Jesus lectures were in the court of women and his teachings as he sat down with people were in the court of women the women could not go into the court of Israel which was the next level 15 steps up and the general men Israel could not go into the court of the priest which was three more steps up toward the building of the temple it was very restricted you could get killed for going across the line as a matter of fact so here we are we step into the court of women and on our right this is the northeast corner right here uh, we have the uh, the place where the wood is stored for the sacrifices the southwest corner was excuse me the uh The southeast corner was for the Nazarites. That's over here on this side. Incidentally, these corners were 15 by 15. No type of type on them, but this this one acre ground had four rooms in it at the corners. That's what we're describing now. The northwest corner was for the lepers cleansing. And the northeast corner, uh, let me get this right now. have to read it. The... uh, Southeast corner was for the Nazarites, and the southwest corner up here, nearest the court of the Gentile, court of the, uh, of the Israelites, was for storage of grain offerings, frankincense, new wine, all for Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and so forth. And then the next court is where the men could go to as they climbed the steps of, up to the gate of Nicanor, it was called, where they could go into the place of the Gentiles. Now, this room over here, this room over here, very near the next level, is the place where Tobiah the Ammonite had been assigned. He lived in there. He lived in that room where the frankincense, grain offerings, new wine, all for the Levites, singers, and so forth, were to be kept. And, of course, he got rid of all that. That was his house. That was his house. And I want to remind you of something. He did not have the authority to go in there at all. He did not have the authority to go into the court of women. He could go into the court of Gentiles, which was outside that area. He could not come through Solomon's fort and go in that gate. Solomon's fort and go in that gate. It was illegal for him to do that. But he was doing it because the high priest assigned him to that room. How bad are we going to get? How bad off is the stump? And you remember that guy that said, if these Jews build that wall, even a fox will go down it and knock it down. You know who said that? Tobiah the Ammonite. 
No wonder he didn't want the Jews there. He had power in the temple. A place where not even a regular Israelite could go because he went in this particular room. And unless you had business in there and you were a Levite, you couldn't go in. You had to be a Levite to go in. Wow. Now we're coming into verse 6. Nehemiah left Jerusalem incidentally and he returned in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, which was 432 B.C. He's come back now. During all this, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after certain days, I obtained leave from the king came to Jerusalem and discovered that the evil Elishab, the high priest, what he had done for Tobiah in preparing room for him in the courts of the house of God. And again, to uh, emphasize Brother Glenn's statement this morning, Elishab probably didn't even know that was wrong. He knew it violated God's will. But it was the right thing to do. Tobiah was an important man. Elisha needed his friendship. He was important to Tobiah. I mean, he was important to Elisha. Tobiah was a necessary evil. But Nehemiah said it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. I like this. I like the picture. He goes in and gets his bed and dresser and all the fine things he has and throws them out. He cleans out the room. Then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms. Now that has a much deeper meaning than we think about cleansing a room. We have somebody to come in, move all our furniture and uh, clean our floors, the walls, baseboards, etc. That's not what is really meant here. They had to cleanse them with a holy cleansing. They had to sanctify this room again and restore it to its original purpose. I brought back into them the articles of the house of God, the grain offerings and the frankincense. Nehemiah is a man of action. Sometimes we see what needs to be done, we won't do it. We're too timid to do it. We cannot say what needs to be done. I was speaking with a lady not long ago who told me that the church where she worshipped had brought in a lady by video for a special class where the woman preached and taught from the Bible. And she said, I just said, does anybody think this is right? One of the elders said, you're trying to cause trouble. She said, yes, I am. And I want to tell you something, ladies. She was right. That woman was right. The next best thing she could have done is got up and walked out. Near my 13... I also realized that the portions... For the Levites had not been given them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to the field. 
So I contended with the rulers, and they said, and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. These people were not to be working in the field. They were Levites and singers. They worked full time at the temple. And yet they had nothing to eat. They could not sustain themselves without going back to farming. How very, very sad. How very sad that case was. No one less than Nehemiah could have done this. Those men at first tried to talk with him. The Ammonites and the Horonite, Sanballat, Tobiah. They tried to meet with him and have a nice meeting. We can get this thing settled, don't worry. Well, they wanted to kill him, of course, but they wouldn't have done that. If he's okay, 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 I give up. That's, this, is, this is how you've done it. This is how it ought to be done. I'm sure God will understand. Uh-uh. Wrong idea. That's not what Nehemiah would have done. They would have cut his throat if he had met with them out on the plains of Ono. Just wouldn't do it. Thank God. Verse 12. Then all Israel brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. Put it back where it was supposed to be. I appointed his treasuries over the storehouse. Shilamah, the priest, and Zadok, the scribe. And the Levites, Padiah. Next to them was Hanan, son of Zuchar, son of Mataniah. For they were considered faithful. And their task was to distribute to their brethren. He put men in charge, not politically, not because they were political friends, but because they were dedicated to God. They were considered faithful. And their task was to distribute them to their brethren. I'm so glad that God gives us that model. Seek you out seven men who can take care of these widows. And we apostles will appoint them. That took care of that sin. The neglect of the Grecian widows. How very important. The church is not a democratic organization. It's not that we're trying to get certain people on this side, certain people on that side. Trying to find out who our friends are. The church is an organization representing God. It belongs to God. And we must act accordingly. Just one thought here for the big minds. The priest and Zadok, the scribe. In the second temple, the Zadokites formed the priestly aristocracy. And they alone received praise. This is the second temple, of course. This is, uh, this is the way it was. Nothing wrong with Zadok, but Solomon's temple had a man associated with it called Zadok. We think this is a descendant of him. He was a priest. Not long after this event, within a couple hundred years, the intertestamental period, there was a group that arose in the in God's people that were called the Pharisees. 
They were the separated ones. There was already a Greek uh, uh, group in charge called the Sadducees. Zadok is the foundation word for Sadducee. Sadducees were the tribe that, the part of the tribe that was in charge of the spiritual aspect of the temple, primarily. They were politically allied with Rome. They did things like they thought the Romans wanted them to do. They claimed to believe God. They did not believe in the angels or the resurrection and so forth. They accepted only the first five books of the Old Testament as being inspired. And incidentally, I think they believed in angels as recorded in the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, but not in Daniel in those places. But Zadok is in that lineage, and that's important for you to know. Remember this, verse 14. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, do not wipe out my good deeds. All I can say about Nehemiah, or the best I can say about him, is he's a fantastic leader. And when preachers and teachers and Christians talk about Nehemiah, they normally talk about his rebuilding the wall in 52 days. Considering his total work, that was a minor task. It was minor. The guts he had to stand and say, this is what God wants. And we're going to do it whether you want it or not. Is the great thing about Nehemiah. We must have leaders like that in the church. We must become men like that ourselves and women. This is God's plan. Let us speak where the Bible speaks. Let us be silent where it's silent. And thank God many of these people are already that way. They, they were just ignorant. And when the truth was presented to them, they said, we'll do it. We're going to talk more about that next week. Thank you for listening. What a great class you are. And uh, I am really enjoying you as students and listeners in this class. Let us bow together. Gracious Father, for the blessings in Christ, we give our thanks for the pattern that Nehemiah has set for us, for our elders, deacons, teachers, for all of us. We, we thank you and pray that you'll help us to be more like him in understanding your will and enforcing it in our own lives and teaching it to others as we have opportunity. Bless this church, our leaders. Protect us. Put a canopy over us as we move out of this place to protect us from Satan. Thank you for hearing us and blessing us. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Don't run in the hall. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.